Who knows why we come to church? So we can learn about God. Yes, and I think you all heard that. So we can learn about God. Why else? Go ahead, Xander. To learn things and play. Yeah, it's always good to be joyful and have some fun at church together, isn't it? build friends. You know, another really amazing reason that we come to church is to worship God and to bring others with us. So here at Grace Commons, you won't really care about this part. So if you tune me out a little bit, that's fine. But the mission is to build a flourishing church, which means lots of fun and excitement and worship and joy and build disciples. Now, part of being a disciple, what does a disciple mean? Hmm, they're in the Bible. They just went fishing, huh? That's all they ever did. Being a disciple is following Jesus. One of the ways we do that, what is this? Money, 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 money. It's a $100 bill. I know, I was gonna bring $20 and the Mr. Randy gave me 100. Maybe I'll just forget to give it back. Now, one of the things we do with our money is being a disciple is we do, but we also bring it to church. We give it back to God because we're worshiping God saying, God, you have given us so many good things and you're the one who gives us those good things and you're in control of it. We want you to have some back to participate in our worship as a whole community. So your parents are gonna hear a little bit more about that later, but maybe you could start saving a penny or a quarter and saying, this one is for God because he's given me some really good gifts. Wouldn't that be special? I have a whole piggy bank. Awesome, you think you'll bring it next time, Naomi? I have a piggy bank. Yeah. I've been collecting a lot of coins. She has been, Rosemary has been collecting a lot of coins. Okay, well let's remember that. To build a flourishing church, Build this building disciples, okay? And part of that is saying thank you to God for all the good things that he's given us and worshiping him. Let me give you a blessing before you head off to Sunday school, okay? May the Lord give you all curious minds to learn, soft hearts to grow, and ready feet to be like Jesus wherever you go with God's help and grace. May you know how loved you are by God and by your church family in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Head up the center aisle. You guys can head off to your class. You have a llama bank. Even better. Okay, go ahead, buddy. Yeah, I need one of those. I just talked to the people at Chase. A llama would be way more fun than J.P. Morgan Chase, I think. Well, good morning, folks. My name is Emily Kreider. I'm your pastor to families or family ministry or whatever. I always forget my formal title because who really cares? Other than that, I am here to shepherd you in some way as a pastor to families and I care about kids and I have some of my own. And this morning I'm delighted to teach you from, well, delighted might be a strong word. This has been a painstaking text for me this week, but Nehemiah four and five is what I have to share with you. And last week, Randy introduced our series Redeemed, working through the book of Nehemiah during our Lenten season to call us to confession, repentance. I know you're like, cool. Sounds like fun. But for the sake of rebuilding and renewal and that shared mission that we have as a flourishing church, flourishing church. Now, every great story has a villain, 
or some kind of conflict needing to be conquered for the hero to really shine. Think of Peter Pan and Captain Hook, or my kids watched last night, Cinderella and the evil stepsisters, Javert and Jean Valjean, Sherlock and Professor Moriarty, Ariel and Ursula, Harry Potter and Laura Voldemort. You get the idea. And Nehemiah 4 and 5 is the part of the story where the enemy or the opposition comes to ruin all this good fun the Jews, the Israelites are having in the rebuilding of the city walls. We encounter their conflict. Now, Nehemiah 4 starts with Sunballot or Sunballot or however you want to say it, and Tobiah, Nehemiah's worst bullies, coming to taunt the Jews and ridicule them out of his anger and his fear. He's so afraid that they might really truly become a powerful nation again, and they're nervous about it. So in verse 2, he even, Sunballot says, what are those feeble Jews doing? Calling them feeble and incapable. In verse 4, he says, what they are building, even a fox, climbing up on it would break down their wall of stones. This external opposition is demoralizing and produces great fear. They're, they're in anxiety and angst and frustration. And the work ahead is really no small feat. This is, this is about the renewing of their position as a people, not just rebuilding the walls. Now, the amazing part about Nehemiah's leadership is that he hears the concern of the Jews, and he's already modeled the power of prayer. So what's their first response? Everyone says, they pray. They pray. They stop and they say, oh God of heaven, Yahweh, Jehovah, our provider, stand in the gap for us, please. And then they get back to work. And when the threats and insults continue, they pray. Decide to post guards near the families, where the families live, where people are dwelling. And then they have this trumpet call, an alert system for help if an uprising takes place. I think that would be my job. One, because I'm loud, and also I used to be a trumpet player. So that would be my job if I was there. So in chapter four, really the great lesson for, for, for us is this slide. That Nehemiah helps them move their fear of the enemy into vision or even you could say joy and passion and excitement about their shared mission. Nehemiah helps this community move from a place of fear to a place of united, joyful, and passionate mission. They are thrilled about what God is doing to renew them and to rebuild them. Nehemiah also calls them to remember the Lord in verse 14. He says his greatness, power, protection is all available to you. So be faithful. Don't be fearful. Take the right next step, leaning into the Lord as our great provider. Nehemiah's calm resolve to go to the Lord gave the Jews clarity on how to respond in their own hearts. What was their shared mission? The patterns we see the Jews use in response to their opposition is characteristic of what God calls us to do as a people of faith together, even you and me, to pray, to worship, to work, get our hands dirty, be unified and be fruitful. They were ready with weapons of a spiritual nature to fight the real threat to their resolve, which is really harder than even fighting the external things that are more physical in nature. 
Grace Commons, what is our shared mission? To go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. That's the big C church mission. That's why we're all here. That's the point. Here in Boulder, we've distilled it down for us at Grace Commons to say on this slide, to build a flourishing church that builds disciples of Christ, whether it's with Randy's $100 bills, that's funny, or... (laughs) Warming you up, I'm warming you up. Whether that's Randy's $100 bills, or it's your energy, your mentoring, your time, your faithfulness in prayer. Now, okay, so chapter four, it's an inspiration to us and a fine picture of the body working together well when they come across external opposition. And I could spend plenty of time telling you what all the external opposition we face being faithful believers in Jesus. We could spend a ton of time on that, ton of time, but that would bore you because you're already very familiar. It's not hard to figure out what we fight in a world kind of sense. So we have to get to chapter five. And in chapter five, the Jews find themselves just like every family I've ever witnessed here, especially as your pastor to family. They are putting the fun and dysfunctional. They've got, yeah, see, now you're catching on. It's funny. They've got issues and they've got a lot of them. And they could bury them in the sand and let them continue to fester like many of us probably do, I won't tell. Or they could bring them to light and create opportunities for healing and growth so that their shared mission could continue to flourish. Now just as these Jews were finding a rhythm and dealing with the external resistance, Nehemiah becomes aware of how much is happening among them internally. So in verse two, we learn of the famine that's taken place in the land. And it's making hard for them to feed their large families, it says in the text. So to make matters even worse, so they've got this external stuff going on. They've been slaves before in Egypt. They're having to mortgage their fields and livelihood to afford just basic groceries, the bare necessities. Even more, they're having to sell their sons and daughters to slavery in order to make Sure, they have the needs for their families. Can you imagine a people who've come out of slavery in Egypt to have to sell their sons and daughters back again for the bare necessities? Now, to pour insult to injury, this is not Sambalit or Tobiah who's doing this to them. It's not something external that they can blame it on. Folks, they're doing it to themselves. It's the other nobles and officials, the hierarchy of their community who's taking advantage of one another. And then once you're living in a, in a season of scarcity and, um, and survival mode, you don't make good choices other than trying to survive yourself. So you take advantage of somebody else. And then it spirals and spirals and spirals and there goes the flourishing of the people. Nehemiah is enraged by this and calls the nobles and officials to make it right. And they, by God's grace, honor him. Let me read five, chapter 5, verse 7 through 12. I pondered them in my mind, and then I accused the nobles and officials. I told them, you are charging your own people interest. So I called together a large meeting to deal with them and said, as far as is possible, we have brought back our fellow Jews who were sold to the Gentiles. Now you are selling your own people only for them to be sold back to us. They kept quiet because they could find nothing to say. So I continued, 
What you are doing is not right. Shouldn't you walk in the fear of our God to avoid the reproach of our Gentile enemies? I and my brothers and my men are also lending the people money and grain, but let's stop charging interest. Give back to them immediately their fields, vineyards, and olive groves and houses, and also the interest you are charging them. 1% of the money, grain, new wine, and olive oil. We'll give it back, they said. Could you imagine if it was as easy as that? <laughs> we'll give it back. And we'll not, even more, we'll not demand anything more from them. We'll do as you say. The nobles and officials could go so far as to take an oath to do this because of what Nehemiah had modeled for them. A leadership that said, I'm not going to take even what I'm allotted as the governor of the people, the allotment of food and wine and whatever else. And he went one step even further to host about 150 people at his table regularly, killing his animals to feed everyone and bringing out really delicious wine. Now, I know none of you participate in this kind of disagreement or infighting. That's like somebody at the end of the row or probably the people in the balcony. I'm kidding, by the way. I like you guys up there. But if we're really going to think about flourishing church to build disciples, what are we not naming here in order to get there? What do we need Nehemiah, if he were here today, to say to us in order to say, oh God, let's not stand in our own way. I have a video to illustrate what I mean by standing in our own way. I know. I mean, <laughs> she's so cute. And if you notice in the video, Lizzie's trying to take her first um, consecutive steps, and we're like, come on, girl, we are ready for her to walk. But her brother and her sister keep getting in the way. They want to steal the show. They're, but then they move from a place of getting in her, oh, in her way to cheering for her and be excited about Oh yeah, I'm getting excited. They're getting excited about what she's doing, that she's walking and moving from point A to point B. As a pastor, I would be doing you a disservice if I didn't tell you the truth. And I hope that you won't invoke, uh, that I won't have to invoke the, the Jack Nicholson quote, but you can't handle the truth. You know, that's not the idea here, but that calling you to be a people who might be willing to hear God's truth for us for the sake of freedom and flourishing. So what do we have to name here like Nehemiah did? I've been around long enough to know that some of us consider our shared mission while nitpicking every little thing that might make us uncomfortable. And this turns into complaining and grumbling, distracts us from our shared mission. We consider our main objective, but then we lean into what many would call entitlement. 
thinking that our position here might suggest we're owed ministry to look a certain way or that our money might be used, need to be used exactly the way we see fit. Even more, we might think we're entitled to receive only from the church instead of contributing to the shared mission with our time, energy, joy, and passion. We might think we love our shared mission and are passionate about it, but then we linger in assuming we're always right. So our posture becomes my way or the highway. A bit like the greed of the Jews when they took advantage of the brother and sister. Or dare I say, we might, be ra- we might rather be right than be in relationship. Let that sit for a moment. Grumbling and complaining, entitlement, assuming we're always right, my way or the highway. It's a gut punch to become aware of our stuff. And I feel that with you. But like anybody who's gone to some therapy and put a mirror up in front of themselves so they can see what's standing in their own way of flourishing, Grace Commons, please, Don't turn your eye away. There is so much that God can do here. Like my daughter walking across the floor, championing, getting so excited about her life on two feet. We have the opportunity to meet Boulder County with the gospel. Do you believe the gospel? That when we go to Jesus, he is faithful and just to forgive us of all unrighteousness. He makes us right before him. Do you believe that? Do you believe that in confessing your sin, he meets you with grace? Because if you did, You'd want to know every bit that stood in your way of flourishing with the Lord. And you would say, oh God, make it right. Because when I go to you, I sit at your feet. I don't sit down the road in condemnation or fear. I get to sit in your presence. Man. Folks, I care so much about this, which is why I weep. When Jeremiah called the people of God to turn and to make it right, to tear down their idols and to focus on the one true God, he wept. I'm not calling myself a prophet, but I stand before you saying, we have so much potential here at Grace Commons. I want to see the front of this church so maxed out with kids. We're we're not sure what to do with them because we care so much about the goodness of Jesus in our lives that we can't do anything but proclaim it at the top of our lungs. We stop caring about how somebody did something weird with the paint on the wall over there and the color of the carpet. And we care so much about making disciples about loving Jesus so much with our own heart that it bubbles over and we call people to join us as messy as that will be. And folks, it's a disaster. It's not pretty, 
when people share a mission with so much passion that it gets busy and full. But you know what it's also full of? Abundant grace, life, flourishing. The rebuilding of the wall for the people of God was to reestablish who they belong to and where they belong in the world. A unified position of protection with the Lord. I'm fully not on my notes anymore, but who really cares? <laughs> None of this is meant for your shame. Romans 8.1 says there's no condemnation for those who are Christ Jesus. In Christ Jesus. We go to the throne of grace. Have I said it enough? Grace. So don't be afraid to name your stuff that stands in your way. And don't be afraid to name the stuff in the room here, family. We don't have to be dysfunctional. We can flourish and there are parts of our church that are flourishing when they know how to keep the main thing, the main thing. Love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself. So I ask you these three questions, and they're gonna kick me off the stage in a minute. I have more than three questions. Are you going to the Lord for your freedom, your flourishing, and your true spiritual rest? Are you trying to muscle it yourself? Stop it. He's so good. He's just so good. Are you marked? Here's some reflection questions for you. Holy smokes, I'm gonna need a nap. Are you marked by a dying to self or a my way or the highway mentality? It's okay, name it. Say, God, forgive me and do the work. Second question, are you inclined to greed, getting more out of someone or something than it was designed? Or do you lean more towards generosity? It's okay, name it, go to the Lord with it, do the work. Ask him to create in you a generous spirit. Are you more interested in being right or having relationship? Name it. Take it to the throne of grace. And ask the Lord to do the work. Ask yourself, what do I have that I could contribute to our shared mission? Joy, money, time, mentoring, encouragement, a meal, a chocolate chip cookie. I don't know. What do you have to give? Anything. A prayer? Anything. I want to see more lives changed by the gospel because I couldn't do my life without it. And I'm literally dying to see you feel the same way. And I'll do everything in my power as your pastor to try to compel you to the thing that I know will give you freedom, flourishing, and God's good grace and rest. And call you to be a church who does the same. Otherwise, why bother? So the good news 
is that God in his grace gave us Jesus who died on the cross willingly to take our sin. 